Hey girl, you're listening to Live Free Radio. I'm your host, Letitia Bate. I'm a registered health coach certified in holistic nutrition and weight loss for women, as well as a retired nurse and fierce PCOS advocate. PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome, and this led me to my mission for empowering women who are like me to start giving up the lies that diet culture has been feeding you for years so that you can live out your most fierce and best freaking life. Let's get to today's episode. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take the time to tell you about Mild de Cairo Complex from Vita Chic. This is an amazing supplement to have in your PCOS toolbox. Vita Chic's Mild Decaro Complex offers the 40 to 1 ratio of mild inositol and decaro inositol, which are two evidence-based vitamin-like substances that can help you with your PCOS symptoms. Having these two inositols working together can help support hormone and mood balance, as well as improve insulin sensitivity and energy. I personally use it to help with my insulin resistance and to restore my cycle. I love it. And I also have clients who feel the same way. Mild Decaro Complex also contains a propriety blend of herbs like fenugreek, chaseberry, and maca to help support those happy hormones. It's manufactured here in the U.S. of A., doctor researched and certified, 100% natural and vegan friendly, and I really loved getting to know Samantha, the CEO, who is also a PCOS fighter. So head over to VitaChicUSA.com and use the code LIVEFREE25, that's all caps, L-I-V-E-F-R-E-E-25, to receive 25% off of your order. Welcome back to Live Free Radio. Today, I have Daphna Chazen, who is a registered dietitian. She specializes in PCOS, and we are going to be discussing a very hot topic in PCOS. It's insulin resistance. You guys have had a lot of questions about it, and I'm so excited that she's here to help answer all those questions. Daphna, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that uh, we were just talking about, you know, how fun social media is and how we get to connect and, and, you know, being able to talk on here. I just, I'm so happy that you're here and uh, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a registered dietitian and I've been doing this. I've been in the space of wellness and nutrition for about 10 years Mm -hmm. and I worked in many different roles as a dietitian. And the majority of my career was in weight management, diabetes prevention. And one of the things that I was seeing as I was helping women um, was that women kept coming in with this condition that I've never heard about before. It was called PCOS. Uh And these women had a really much harder time than everyone else I was seeing managing everything, managing their blood sugar, managing their weight. They mm-hmm. were metabolically a lot more challenging for us as, a clini- as clinicians, because I was working on a team with doctors and nurses and even psychologists. It was a very um, kind of an interdisciplinary program. We all were really puzzled about what's going on with these women, mm-hmm. um, especially on the nutrition side, um, really trying to get all their parameters you know, in check. And I went and did some research and I really got interested in working specifically with women with PCOS, which is what I've been doing um, for the past about four to five years. Yeah. And yeah. And I really have, you know, sought out a lot more training and information and kind Mm -hmm. of 
understanding myself um, what this condition entails. And I've been really enjoying helping women um, manage PCOS because you and I both know that nutrition plays such a huge role in it. Mm -hmm, so for, sure. for us as dietitians, that's like, yeah, let's do this, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. We don't want to use medications. We don't want to do all these things. We want to use nutrition. Yeah. And, and yeah. And that's been something that's been really fulfilling for me. I don't have PCOS myself, but I did struggle a lot with hormonal issues um, when I was younger. So a lot of the things, you know, that I've had like high androgens and inflammation, um, I, I can totally relate to. And I see, you know, I feel the pain both emotionally and physically of some of the mm -hmm. symptoms that my clients are dealing with, because I have dealt with a lot of them myself. So I think bringing that and combining that with what I know about PCOS and how to treat it, I've been really helped. Um, able to kind of help women see some progress and some results. So that's really re rewarding for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming the majority of the women with PCOS that you work with is insulin resistance, a pretty common theme. It is. It yeah. really is. Yeah. 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 So we now know that almost up to 90% of women with PCOS could be dealing with um, insulin resistance. So Isn't it's a really crazy? major driving force of pretty much every PCOS symptom. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're lean or not, or, you know, there is going to be some likely some degree of insulin resistance in your body. And that's probably the first line of, of treatment that we want to kind of work on. Yeah, yeah. And I do I know just from speaking with other women, when we hear the word insulin resistance, like we immediately are like, oh, am I diabetic? You know, like, what does that mean? Um, do you care yeah. to kind of explain a little bit about what insulin resistance actually is? Sure. Yeah. So before we talk about insulin resistance, let's talk about insulin because yeah. we hear about insulin definitely has a bad rep, but it <laughs> kind of is important, right? We need insulin. Yes. We want insulin because the body's uh, blood sugar control is dependent on insulin. So, and the body really tightly regulates blood sugar. So we want insulin to be there in just the right amounts, helping us um, basically produce energy from our blood glucose. So when we eat a meal, whether it has carbohydrates, most meals do contain carbohydrates as well as of course, protein and fats. So fats do not break down and impact our insulin um, proteins do to some degree, but most carbohydrates will break down to glucose and that glucose goes into the bloodstream, insulin comes in, helps it go into the cells where it's burnt off for energy. So glucose is the body's preferred energy source, which is why we don't want to limit carbs, right? right. <laughs> uh, but we'll get to that later. And so insulin is good in some amounts, in some level, and we do need it. The problem begins when we have too much insulin that's being secreted and the signaling is not working. So the body is not responding to insulin. So we always use the analogy of a door with the keyhole and the key. So if you were to unlock a door, which would be the door to your cell, sugar needs to get in there, but the door is locked, insulin comes in, and that's the key that opens the door. Well, when we have insulin resistance, the key is not working. We're using the wrong key, something's not right, and insulin, keeps being secreted because the body wants to bring sugar levels down, but nothing is, is working. It's not communicating mm -hmm. properly. 
your blood sugar could get high, but it doesn't always. Sometimes women will have insulin resistance with normal blood sugar right. levels. So like you mentioned, it doesn't mean that you have diabetes mm -hmm. or even pre-diabetes. Your blood sugar could be perfectly normal, but your insulin levels could be high because remember the body's priority is the balanced blood sugar level. So blood sugar could be balanced, but insulin is way too high. And I think and that's, that's what's really tricky is because some yeah. people could have it and just never know, um, you know, it can go undetermined. Yes. Yeah, they do. They do. So, and it's not, even with blood sugar levels, sometimes it's not noticeable that you, you know, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily know what your blood sugar levels are. Um, you would know if your blood sugar is too low, but you would, mm. wouldn't necessarily know. You know, I once had a patient in my office, her blood sugar was in the 400s and she was feeling fine. Right. So, wow. yeah, you wouldn't necessarily know that something's wrong. Um, and that's why it's dangerous because it could go on for a long period of time and someone wouldn't be aware of it. Yeah. And if it does go on undetected, untreated, then we're looking at the possible diagnosis of diabetes and, and such. That's why we're at us as women with PCOS are at such high risk. Yeah. So we know that about 50% of people who have insulin resistance will go on to develop full-blown diabetes. But the good news is that there's so much you can do to prevent it. Yeah. It's very treatable, very manageable and reversible. So insulin resistance mm -hmm. is reversible. You can become just, you know, neutral, not insulin resistant. You can regain your sensitivity to insulin, which is really the goal for everyone um, right. who has some degree of insulin resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And we're definitely going to talk about like the way, like, how do we reverse that? But what, like, I have uh, a lot of people is like, how do I know? How do you know if you have insulin resistance? Um, you know, I know that we'll, we can talk about some labs, but what are some symptoms that could show up before that point? So it could be a lot of different symptoms. Everyone's a little bit different. One thing that's important to know is that insulin can really drive androgens. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so a lot of the PCOS symptoms that we associate with high male hormones like testosterone, um, things like acne, facial hair, hair loss, um, even anxiety, these are all things that really, they do come from androgen, high androgen levels. But if you backtrack even a little bit more, it's insulin that's driving because high levels of insulin will then work on the ovaries to produce testosterone and other male hormones. So if you take it you know, down to the root cause, it goes back to insulin. Right. So that's one way that someone could know if there's a high level of symptoms that are uh, um, related to androgens. Um, the other thing is, of course, things like sugar cravings, mm. belly fat, fatigue. So here's what happens. If you have sugar that can't get into your cells, you're not producing energy, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to feel fatigued. You could feel lethargic all day long. And I know many women with PCOS yeah, feel this way. For sure. Mm -hmm. That could be a big sign of insulin resistance. And then, you know, um, belly fat um, and, you know, over time, of course, you could test if you wanted to. So mm -hmm. you would look at your fasting blood sugar levels, your fasting insulin. And there's actually an equation where you can plug in your numbers and um, find out if you do have some degree of insulin resistance. But going by symptoms is usually enough to tell. Right. Right. Yeah. And as you said earlier, too, if, if you've been diagnosed with PCOS, the chances are just really high. 
Um, I usually feel like looking at your insulin um, as like, you know, treatment for the root cause is a really great place to start. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, even on the labs, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can almost have normal like blood glucose level, normal insulin, and your labs could come back completely fine and you still have a degree of insulin resistance. So yeah, it's a really tricky thing to pinpoint. Yeah, it, yeah, it happens sure. all the time. And that's where a lot of women hit a roadblock where your doctor says, well, look at your numbers. They're beautiful. Yeah. Or, you know, you, there's nothing wrong with you. Well, if you feel that there's something wrong with you, if you know that your body doesn't feel right, that you could feel better, maybe at one point you did feel better and things got mm -hmm. a little bit worse for you, you can go back to that. And you always trust your body's instincts and the symptoms. And you know, every symptom that you have is a message from your body that something could be wrong. So you for wanna sure. pay closer attention to that than to numbers. I, to me, numbers are just kind of uh, a way to, you know, double check or if you wanted to really you're a numbers person some people like to know fine mm -hmm. do that but symptoms are i think more powerful yeah yeah like just like you said it's your body's way of telling you like hey something something's wrong <laughs> we you need help listen, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so let's talk about some of the ways i know uh nutrition's a huge key factor can we talk about that how can we improve our nutrition yeah. So there are many, many, many ways. Everyone's going to be different. I'm probably mm -hmm. going to repeat this sentence that everyone's going to be different a million times today <laughs> okay. because um, I really want everyone to know that you don't want a cookie cutter approach, right? So I love that. you, yeah, you have to kind of curate your own treatment regimen. You also at the same time don't have to be doing all the things, right? So a lot of times I think women go on this, um, you know, recovery journey, thinking that I'm either doing it all or I'm doing none of it. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. That's going to be overwhelming. That's a surefire recipe for burnout. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you some of the things, the top things that I've seen work the best. There are many, many others. Um, and, you know, studies do show that these nutrition and lifestyle interventions are more powerful than medications. So if someone's, mm -hmm. you know, was treated with metformin and they still have symptoms, do this, try something else, add another layer of, you know, good nutrition and lifestyle modifications in addition to your medication. If you want to continue taking that, there's no problem with that, but always um, you know, leverage food to your benefit because it could be more powerful than the medication for sure. Yeah. So let's start off with carbs because i know everyone wants to know about carbs i feel like it's a topic that will never get old everyone wants to keep talking about it yeah it, it, so let's it, just do it right yeah let's dive in <laughs> okay so the first thing i'm going to say is cutting carbs is not it this is not what's going to give you results it may give you temporary results it may feel like on the first week or two when you're cutting back on a lot of carbohydrates you're feeling better there mm -hmm. are many reasons why that may be uh, fluid weight loss could be part of it. You could be reducing bloat because you're not eating as many, um, you know, compounds called fructans that are a lot of times causing, causing bloat. So I don't want to go off on a tangent on why someone may feel better when they're cutting carbs. And because that's a topic, topic for another <laughs> conversation, but you know, I, I mention it because a lot of times women feel validated or they feel like they've found the magic bullet by cutting carbs because in the beginning it may seem like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
but talk to me in three months, talk to me in a year. Yeah. Let's see how you're feeling then. You're probably not going to be able to sustain what you're doing. So I am not for cutting carbs for that reason mainly. What I am for is really understanding your body's carb tolerance, which means how many carbohydrates could you eat in a meal? And I don't know about you, Leticia, but I want to eat as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. I, I'm always like, if I can eat more, I'm going to do that. Right. <laughs> if sure. I can eat more and get the same results. So I always tell my clients, we're going to figure out how you can eat the most amount of food and still get your results. So you yeah. don't have to feel deprived. You don't have to feel hangry and you don't have to be like feeling always um, on some sort of a diet. So let's find out how many carbohydrates you can eat in a meal, still get your results, but not feel tired, not need to take a nap, not have sugar cravings two hours Mm -hmm. later, and not, you know, of course, lose your period, have acne or all of those things. So finding your carb tolerance, there's a formula that I use to do that, where we can kind of hit that sweet spot where you're incorporating them in a nice, healthy way, but you're not overdoing it and then really spiking your blood sugar. The type of carbohydrates that you eat also matters, right? So Mm -hmm. we always want to prioritize things that have a lot of fiber. We want things in the most natural form as much as possible. So very minimal processing. And we also want to make sure that the carbs that we're eating are not eaten alone. So we want to pair them with something else. And that's a great way to keep eating bread and pasta and potatoes and all of those things, right? You want to enjoy those foods. You want them to be in your life. Well, how can we do that? We do that by pairing them with proteins and fats. We do that by selecting the foods that do give a lot more nutrition. So, you know, all of my clients eat pasta. Everyone Mm -hmm. that I work with eats bread. Of course, we also, you know, incorporate high fiber foods like oats and sweet potatoes and all of those things, but they can also enjoy a slice of pizza because they know their carb tolerance and they know how this fits into their plan. Mm -hmm. So being smart about carbs is really the key here, not like ditching them and saying they're the cause of all evil in the world. Um, And then the other thing that we know works is um, of course, spacing them out. So sometimes I would see clients and they would say, well, I would say, what'd you eat for breakfast today? And she'll say, I ate oatmeal. I make that with milk and I ate it with a banana and maybe a glass of juice or a a slice of toast. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all nice and good, but it's too many carbohydrates in one sitting, right? So Mm -hmm. all of these things are healthy, love oats, love bread, love milk. But at the same time, I don't have enough protein in that meal. There's too much of a dosage of carbs in that one sitting. So what we do is we break it apart a little. We maybe have the toast later. We maybe have the fruit later. We move things around. So all things could fit. You have to space them out properly. You definitely have to um, consider the timing of your meal. So the other thing that really can cause a problem is skipping. So when Mm -hmm. someone skips meals, what we know is that there's this rebound effect of insulin, especially when someone skips breakfast there is this rebound effect of insulin after they eat lunch. They'll Mm -hmm. secrete a lot more insulin after that meal than they would normally if they did have a breakfast. Um, Do you find that that you're like with people that come like intermittent fasting, that's the answer, right? And most of the time, I mean, of course it depends, but most of the time they're skipping breakfast in their their fast window. That's exactly right. Yeah, so so nervous. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's my real problem. Oh, I shouldn't say problem. So it can work. And there are definitely studies that show mm. that it's beneficial for some situations. I find that a lot of people are doing it wrong. And yeah. that's where the, <laughs> the issues begin. And you're right. A lot of people use intermittent fasting as an opportunity to not eat breakfast and they eat late into the night, mm -hmm. which doesn't really work because it goes against our circadian rhythm. Right. Right. So if you're eating in line with your circadian rhythm, which are essentially your, the, 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 your sleep and awake cycles um, are based on daytime, right? On light mm -hmm. and darkness. And we want to eat in accordance with that, meaning we want to eat when our body is most alert and metabolically active, which is the morning. So if you're not starting your, you know, if you're not breaking your fast until 2 p.m. and you're eating until 10 p.m., that mm -hmm. would be an eight hour window, which I know is very popular right. to do. But to me, that's not going to work because you're eating your biggest meal late at night when your body is shutting down and you're not taking advantage of your most active metabolic window when insulin is like, yeah, give me food. I'm yeah. ready. Let's go <laughs> do it. Yeah. That's the morning and yeah. you're fasting at that time. So you're mm -hmm. missing an opportunity to really lower your insulin levels and use it up properly so that your body doesn't have to, you know, go all crazy with symptoms later on. Mm -hmm. So that's where I see a problem with intermittent fasting. Um, but going back to nutrition, so we talked a little bit about carbohydrates. Um, the other thing that people don't realize is that the type of fat that you eat can have a huge impact on insulin. So carbs, carbs, carbs. We all talk about carbs because of blood sugar with insulin, but the type of fat that you eat actually makes a huge difference. So we know from studies that saturated fats and, and um, other fats that come from animal foods can actually disrupt the activity of insulin. They're not helpful for insulin to do its job. Um, so it's not to say that we can't eat them, but if you're following something like keto, that's going to be a problem in terms yeah. of insulin resistance in my book. So mm -hmm. I know many people will disagree with me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it, but I, I'm going to tell you that insulin resistance will get worse if the majority of fat that someone's eating is coming from saturated sources. Yeah. And those would be all, you know, animal foods and uh, high fat dairy products, mayo, things like that. Mm -hmm. Again, I incorporate those in the right amounts into my clients' plans, and that works. But again, if we have a day that's very high in saturated fat, that person's going to have a harder time with insulin. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, again, it's a, how long are you going to keep that up? And, you know, are you over time, it can be very detrimental. In the beginning, you may see great results, which I think are most people are just measuring by weight loss. They're not really measuring on like total parameter of, of the body's health markers. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know long term. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. And one thing that's really important to understand with keto and blood sugar and insulin, there are studies that show that insulin levels will get better, that people regain their sensitivity to insulin when they're on keto or they reverse their diabetes the main reason for that is not that keto is so great for you, it's that you are not eating carbohydrates. So mm. of course your blood sugar will go down. Yeah. Of course yeah. your insulin levels <laughs> will go down because you are omitting, you're eliminating the thing that raises blood sugar. So mm -hmm. I am not surprised and I'm not here to negate that research. It is, it is true, mm -hmm. 
Right. But the reason for it is not what it's advertised as. You know what I mean? Like it's not to say that keto is the remedy or cure for insulin resistance. It's really only um, logical that someone's blood sugar levels will go down because they've now taken out carbohydrates out yeah. of their diet. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to, to phrase that. Yeah. Um, other things. So we talked a little bit about fiber. Your carb tolerance is important. The fat type that you're eating is important. Um, of course, antioxidants are going to help here. So a ton of fruits and vegetables, um, mostly vegetables that are non-starchy. A lot of um, you know colors in your diet are going to help because it sounds so um, kindergarten, right? <laughs> I love it though. I, I try to do the same thing. <laughs> I actually did. Um, I went to my kids' um, kindergarten um, when they were in kindergarten, and mm -hmm. this is the talk that I would give. You have <laughs> to eat the rainbow. That's and every great. time I say this, I'm like, am I really saying this to adults? And the answer is yes, yes. because many people are still not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we know that colors in nature represent different nutrients. And this is why we focus on colors because we want to get a variety. So mm -hmm. this is not only going to help us as far as inflammation, because antioxidants are going to help us with um, something called free radicals. Free radicals are oxygen species, not to get into too much of a detail <laughs> on this, but these are the things that are circulating in the blood, causing a lot of damage to tissues and increasing inflammation. So mm -hmm. we want to kind of, um, you know, downregulate them. We want them to not be as active. And the way that we do that is with antioxidants. Um, so getting the variety of colors ensures we're getting a lot of different antioxidants. It's also, of course, adding fiber. So adding a lot of mm -hmm. veggies to your diet, as well as fruit, is working in your favor in both ways. You're getting variety of antioxidants, you're getting the fiber, and you're also getting volume. So going yeah. back to eating more, if you want to eat more, veggies are your friend. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> you want to bulk your meals up with veggies so that yeah. you can feel satiated. If you're you know, eating an excess amount of calories, it's also going to help you calorie control a little bit. So for someone who's dealing with consistent weight gain um, and they're thinking, maybe I'm eating too many calories, that could be one of the ways that you can balance that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. beneficial as well. Yeah. Um, so these are the main things that I think would get someone into a pretty good place with insulin resistance as far as their nutrition. Of course, there are little um, kind of, I call them like fine tuning um, foods that help you with blood sugar control, like mm -hmm. cinnamon can be helpful. Um, apple cider vinegar could be helpful in fine tuning your blood sugar. It helps the body utilize sugar a little bit better. Um, we also know that high magnesium foods are helpful mm -hmm. for blood sugar regulation. So sprinkling those things into your day can be really can helpful be. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I love that you were talking about, you know, making sure that you get all these vegetables and you're getting high volume meals. So it's not necessarily that we have to go low calorie, low, you know, eat very little. And I think that's a big misconception as well, that the other way, um, to reduce our insulin levels is to, to go on a very restrictive, low calorie, low amount of food diet. Yeah. I'm going to tell your listeners that it's very likely that in order for you to heal and recover and reduce your symptoms and get to your health goals, you need to eat more than what you're thinking. Yeah. Right. It is yeah. very likely 
that when you are trying to um, change your nutrition, you're cutting back too much. Like you said, a lot of people do this Mm -hmm. and that can actually make things worse because when we over restrict, it's a stressor on the body. So we're going to see more cortisol, which actually worsens insulin resistance because cortisol increases blood sugar and then insulin is going to come in to try to balance that out. So I see some women do over restrict and um, that could be really, really difficult. But again, it's all about educating yourself Mm -hmm. and trying a different approach because, you know, it's not about getting there faster. Right. I think people restrict sometimes because they can't wait for the results, which I can totally understand. But if you can be patient, if you can take a more moderate approach, you will see better results. It may take longer. It will definitely take longer, but you are going to be so much happier with the process. You're actually going to enjoy the process. A lot of women are (laughs) suffering through Yeah, and they don't, they don't ever get there because why how, who can keep doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Who can yeah. keep eating 1200 calories, no carbs and all, that, all of those things. So you don't need to suffer through the process of healing. That's a big misconception. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then what about um, protein? What are your thoughts like animal versus plant-based? You know, how much should we be taking in of that? I like to combine both. Yeah. Plant-based proteins are going to be higher in carbohydrates. So you mm-hmm. do need to adjust for that in your day. If someone is vegetarian and they're only doing plant-based proteins, it can work. It's a little bit more difficult though, just because of the carb content. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen it work. It is definitely possible, but I do recommend a combination of both because there is benefit into incorporating plant-based proteins regularly. So what I usually tell women is try to have your lunch where again, you're going to be using those carbs from the protein, say from beans a little bit better, make your lunch plant protein based. So throw chickpeas on your salad or make an omelet with black beans or some Mm -hmm. sort of a plant-based protein in your lunch. And then you can have the animal protein later in the day for dinner, which most people do anyway. Right, um, right. So I like a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And then earlier you kind of talked about, okay, like nutrition is a really great primary treatment for insulin resistance, but a lot of women are prescribed metformin. Yes. And I know a lot of women are kind of confused. Like, do we have to have metformin? What if I want to get off of it? You know, if there's something else I could try, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a really common question. I have a lot of clients who are prescribed metformin. They start taking it. They're not tolerating it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they go and try other things and that works better. So The first thing I'm going to say is there are supplements that act in similar ways to metformin where the side effects are not as severe. Mm -hmm. And generally the side effects would be diarrhea, a lot of digestive distress. Um, That's where women, you know, really struggle. And some supplements do mimic the action of metformin. They essentially help sensitize your body to insulin. They help the cells be more efficient and taking up um, the glucose and that can be really helpful. So some of them are things like the inositols, which we all have heard about. Um, mm. Berberine is really common. Um, some studies show that berberine is as effective, if not more than metformin, right. and it doesn't have as severe of a side effect profile. 
So a lot of women find that to be helpful. You do want to be careful. It can increase your liver function, mm -hmm. um, enzymes, and you definitely don't want to be taking it when you're trying to conceive. But we, you know, there are other options for women. Um, at the same time, I'm going to say if you're taking metformin and it's helping you and you're tolerating, I have no problem with that. Right, right. Um, but you do want to combine it with the diet. Like it doesn't replace the diet part, the nutrition side of it, right? Yeah. It doesn't really help you unless you're really, because once you come off the medication, which most women want to do, if right. you didn't take care of the nutrition part, things are going to come back, right? The symptoms are going to be there waiting for you to come off the medication. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's really easy. Um, when it, maybe it's how it's being presented because it's like well here's this pill that's going to fix everything and so they just think oh just take the pill and ta-da yeah yeah <laughs> i think we have to also remember this is what doctors are trained to do yeah true you know that's so i don't think that we can blame them um a lot of doctors are not well informed about pcos a lot of doctors give mm -hmm. out advice that's not the best but at the same time listen, if you came to me, I will give you a nutrition plan because that's what I'm trained to do. And that's right. what I believe works. If you go to a doctor, they're trained so that you come and tell them the symptoms, they'll give you a medication. Mm -hmm. so we have to remember that if you're going to a doctor trying to look for an alternative way to manage your PCOS, you're probably not going to get that. You're going right. to get a script. Very true. Very, very true. <laughs> I, when I worked as the nurse, my patients would come in and about a week or so, they, their pill cup would get bigger and bigger. And they're like, why, why am I taking so many pills? And I'm like, cause you keep complaining about things. Not that you shouldn't complain, but that's just what they do. You, you, you have an issue, you have a symptom, they prescribe a medicine. That's their way of trying to help and treat you. 100%. <laughs> and I've worked with so many doctors and, you know, of course, most of them are, do no harm first and foremost they're right. they're they want to help you these are the tools that they were given so right, keep that exactly. in mind if you don't like those tools you know if you feel like there's a better way and for pcos i can tell you yes nutrition is. is a better way mm -hmm. um then don't feel frustrated with your doctor this is what they're meant to do Mm -hmm. And that brings up just a great point that it doesn't just take a doctor to help you manage your PCOS. Like there's so many other providers like dietitians that are there to help as well. So um, I know we covered the nutrition, but what are your thoughts on, on lifestyle? How do we actually, you know, live for, you know, improving our, our insulin resistance? So I'm going to say that lifestyle is something that you need to ease into because sometimes it's easier said than done. To, to, to change your lifestyle is a hard thing to do. Um, so three things that I think can really, you know, give someone a, a, a good start with insulin resistance are definitely movement. So we know that, you know, you don't have to go to the gym, especially now during COVID. I think a lot of people are struggling with movement. Yeah. Keep it super simple. We know that you don't need to be exercising rigorously for two hours or an hour, even 40 minutes. If you did short bouts of activity during your day, maybe 10 minutes twice a day, that can actually increase your insulin sensitivity, especially if you're doing that after meals. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think, you know, is free, right? You walk out the, outside your door, hopefully everyone has a safe space to walk, walk, right. walk around in. Some people don't. So, you know, I know a lot of neighborhoods don't have sidewalks and, and they're not well lit. But if you do have the opportunity to walk outside your door and take a 10 minute walk, do that. That's going to help. It may seem small, but if you do it enough and consistently, it will make a difference. 
I think so, for some reason, people think that walking is not beneficial anymore. It's so funny. I, I love that you said, like, it may sound small, but it's so effective. Like, yeah. just go walk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, walking doesn't have as as great of a PR budget as um, other things, right? <laughs> right, like, right. CrossFit or whatever, whatever. Yeah. But I'm a, I'm a walker. Listen, yeah. I, I walk everywhere. I try to walk as much as I can. Um, I haven't been to the gym in a long time. And I was doing some home-based workouts and then I just stopped because, you know, many different reasons, <laughs> right? We're all human. Um, and just recently I was like, I am just going to walk. This yeah. is what, you know, meet yourself where you're at. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do something that someone else is doing or guilt yourself into working out in a certain way. I'm going to meet myself where I'm at. Right yeah. now I'm at walking outside 30 minutes and being done and done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what I do. And that's how I, you know, also live my life. And I try to teach my clients to do this. You really need to kind of meet yourself where you're at. The second yeah, thing yeah. is sleep. So sleep can really increase, um, lack of sleep, I should say, uh, or poor quality sleep can really increase your cortisol levels. And women mm -hmm. with PCOS are already with a low grade inflammation that's going on. There's also already a higher level of cortisol um, that's kind of under the surface. So if you're not sleeping well, if you have issues, you know, with the quality or amount of sleep that can really exacerbate um, yeah. insulin resistance. So prioritizing that um, sleep is a tricky one. So a lot of women have a hard time regulating sleep. I would say that looking into circadian rhythms, getting exposed to light, whether, you know, there are artificial like light, um, mm -hmm, the lamps, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the lamps that you can buy if you're not in a, in an area where there's natural light, but get outside, get exposure to light, make sure that you're not delaying going to sleep too long. Sometimes people try to go to sleep um, too late and then right. they have a hard time. Um, I did a podcast on this on my podcast. Did you? Um, yeah. And um, I gave some, you know, additional tips about that, but that's something that needs to be prioritized because it's very, very important. Yeah. You'll have to give me the link and I'll put it in the show notes so they can go over there and listen to that as well. Great. I'll do that. And yeah. um, stress is another one, right? Yeah. So we talked about stress, we talked about movement and we talked about sleep. So street, Sleep and stress are so intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't sleep, you, you're more stressed. And if you're stressed, you don't sleep. Right. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a catch 22, but there's a lot that you can do about it. So I would highly encourage someone who's struggling with either one or both of those things to make that a priority, because mm -hmm. let me tell you, stress usually doesn't resolve itself. Right. Oh yeah. That's a really great way to put that. I love that line. <laughs> you gotta be proactive <laughs> about it, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times people don't believe that it's possible, but it really is. Well, because you're so wrapped up in, in what's happening to you. Yeah. And we've all been there, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're stressed, when things go wrong, when, you know, there's uncertainty like we have right now, which is totally out of our control, we're so wrapped up in it. It's so hopeless, but yeah. you, you have to take some small action forward, whether it's the smallest thing to help yourself feel better and focus on those things that you can modify because they're there. You just, you're just maybe not aware of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, definitely all the things that you've mentioned, just living a more balanced life in general, 
you know, like making sure that your nutrition, you know, well balanced and your sleep and your stress is managed, do what you can when it comes to exercising. It, it's really more simple sounding in a complex way than yeah. what we think, you know, it really is. I hope it that is. gives people hope. Yeah. You don't really need to find a certain like complicated regimen or protocol or some magic bullet. We all want that kind of thing, but it really is in the small stuff. It yeah. really is. Yeah. I think, um, actually I was just talking to a friend about that the other day about how people want the, the magic solution because then it would be an easier answer than just focusing on all these little components that we need to focus on. Right. Yeah. And we're <laughs> used to just clicking buttons all day and yeah. things magically happen. Right. And now you're saying, Oh, well, I need to, to sleep and reduce stress and, you know, eat balanced meals. That it can't be that it needs to be something different. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to feel so much better. Like when, when some of my clients start doing these things, they're mind blown. Of mm -hmm. what I had um, several clients who had other symptoms that were not even, they didn't even think are related to insulin resistance or to PCOS um, and things got better, right? Yeah. All kinds of, you know, skin conditions, not acne, but other things, or even things like migraines, um, of course, joint pain. So, you know, a lot of things could fall into place. And here's the thing that motivates you. Once you start seeing things get better, well, now you're more committed to the process, right? Sure. Now you're, you're more, you're buying into it, right? Well, I can do this. If this mm -hmm. is going to work, if nutrition and sleep and this is going to work, well, I can do that all day long because this feels so much better right. than what I was feeling like before. Right, right. I totally agree. And I'm just, I know it's going to be different for everyone, but I'm just curious, like when you work with a, a client that has PCOS, about how long do you feel like it usually takes for her to start noticing that she feels better? That's a good question. It really does depend. I'm right. going to say that someone should feel better within six weeks. And the reason yeah. that I'm saying this number is that's the amount of time I spend with women in my course. Mm -hmm. And usually by the end of the course, there's a whole transformation and the right. course is six weeks. So I know for sure that it could take, um, you know, about six weeks for someone to feel better. Sometimes it's more immediate than that. Yeah. And if there's a, you know, usually if someone's cycle is not regulated or there's something going on, that's more um, challenging, that could take a little bit longer, but I right, would say right. six weeks is a good amount of time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really motivating though. If you knew that you could start turning things around and feeling better in six weeks, like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, I love everything that you said. I know that this is going to be helpful and I can't wait to share it with the listeners. Uh, where, where can we find you? Where can they follow you and such on social media? Yeah. So people can check out my uh, Instagram page. I'm at, at PCOS.nutritionist.daphna. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition. And yeah, I have uh, people can check out some more information. All my episodes are up on my website. So DaphnaChazen.com. Yeah. And I'll put all of those in the show notes so everybody can go there and follow you and listen to your content and reach out to you if they have questions. Um, so thank, thank you. you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode on Live Free Radio. If you have any questions or would like to be featured here on the show, email me at Letitia at LiveFreeHealthCoaching.com. I also want to take this time to ask you, if you are enjoying the episodes and the podcast, 
please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. This will help women like you find the podcast so that they too can be empowered and feel supported in this community.